0: Thanks for joining us for another Motorsport Magazine podcast on a beautiful summer morning in the city of London a city gripped by Olympic fever I haven't yet met a single person who's not transfixed in fact I thought Nigel Roebuck might have cycled in today.
1: Did you cycle in today, Nigel? Uh, I didn't, Rob, no, no. I drove to the station, then I came in on the train. Sorry to disappoint you. Okay, fine. Um, Nigel
0: Roebuck, who is our editor-in-chief, of course, and also with us is uh, Damien Smith, who is the editor, and uh, Ed Foster, who produces this podcast, does all the preparation, and also, as you know, writes for the magazine. Bit of a special day. It's our editor's birthday. Happy birthday, demo.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, you look very happy about it, man.
2: <laughs> I'm delighted to be here today. Yeah, well, yeah. many
0: happy <laughs> returns, and uh, we'll, we won't keep you longer than we have to. We also have with us today a, a, a special guest, actually, and, I, and I'll tell you why in a second. Uh, Gordon Cruikshank is our deputy editor, and he has been working for Motorsport magazine for 30, I'll repeat that, 30 years. Welcome Gordon. Thank you very much. We'll be talking to Gordon in just a moment but let me tell you first of all about how you can get a subscription to the Motorsport Magazine. Well as you may know we now have an iPad edition so if you've got one of those you're uh, looking good and you receive a free AutoCourse 1971 ebook. That's That's uh, AutoCourse which of course is the Annual of Formula One comes out every year. Tells you everything you need to know about Formula One racing. This is the 1971. Nigel, what were the highlights of the 71 season? Nigel, quick.
1: Well, I mean, personally, was the highlight for me was it was my first season. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, well, I mean <laughs> <laughs> so from that point of view, obviously, I'll never forget it. Was the first season I worked in Formula One. Um, oh, I think really the um, you know the superiority of J. Y. Stewart absolutely it was it was was pretty straightforward he dominated the world championship
0: yeah fans of jackie stewart will won the 1971 auto course well done nigel it was a bit of a surprise (laughs) um anyway you save money every month if you subscribe to motorsport and of course you get this free ipad edition with every magazine uh you're not under any obligation if you're not completely happy with this offer that we're making you we will give you your money back on any issues that are remaining. Uh, the cost of this starts at 49 99 So, you know, a whole subscription, iPad, the thing, the auto course, for less than 50 quid. Very, very good offer. Go to motorsportmagazine.com uh, for more details on this, or to join up, hopefully. Anyway. Uh, you may have realized, you may have noticed, we have new intro music from Steve Mason. Now, Damien, uh, this is new to me as well.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, basically, um, he's a musician that I've uh, always been a fan of, and uh, little did I know he was also uh, a motor racing fan and a fan of Motorsport Magazine and our podcasts. So when he got in touch, um, we uh, uh, we met a couple of times, and he uh, he suggested he... Provides some music for the podcast which I was delighted to have. So he's best known as the lead singer and songwriter for a band called The Beater Band who were very big about ten years ago. Um, but um, he's still writing and producing solo material now.
0: Do we hear him at the end of the show as well? We do. Fantastic. Steve Mason, good, that's all good. And just before we uh, get on to talking to Gordon Cruikshank, uh, let me tell you that in the second half of our podcast today we'll be looking at the Formula One season. Okay uh, That's half term isn't it at the moment Yeah half term in the Formula 1 season And all of us will be having A look at that Gordon welcome thank you for coming
3: Delighted usually I'm on the outside Looking in when you're doing this Absolutely well now you <laughs> Now you may you may regret this um, And he didn't need any arm twisting
2: At all to do this
0: <laughs> Good I'm pleased to hear that Um An incredible amount has happened here at Motorsport. I mean, you worked for Wesley JT, uh, which, I mean, he has a reputation for being a difficult man, yes, no? Uh,
3: Undoubtedly, possibly the most awkward man I've ever dealt with. (laughs) I mean, I don't think I can do better than repeat the words I used when I wrote about Standard House in the 1000th issue. I described him as short, bold, Charming, irritating, shrewd, tight-fisted, sentimental and crafty. Uh, he was all those things. You could make an arrangement with him in print and make him sign it and he would deny it or insist that you'd forge his signature. You, he would not stick to any contracts. He wouldn't sign any contracts and he would simply change his mind after you'd made a decision in the boardroom.
0: And you've stayed for 30 years
3: (laughs) I don't know why (laughs) I did attempt uh, I've made several escape runs but I've only ever got as far as the perimeter fence for some reason (laughs) In the early days he knew that as a single car enthusiast the car was the most exciting thing about the job, or one of the most exciting things much more so than the money, which was terrible so if he thought I was about to run away he would uh, improve my car And the cars got dafter and dafter, and (laughs) more extravagant, and uh, and it held me there for a long time.
0: I can sort of understand that. Um, Maybe we should just explain, Wesley JT owned Motorsport Magazine,
3: didn't he? He bought it for £20 in 1936 because it was printed by his father's company, the printing company. And it was saddled with debt, it wasn't going anywhere, and the owner had uh, run away to pursue an attractive lady to America. And he just didn't want to deal with what was left. So uh, it came to the printers, and uh, Wesley took it on from his father, and it became a huge success despite him i would say rather than because of him <laughs> <laughs>
0: it, it it just shows you the the history of motorsport magazines almost as fascinating as the history of motor racing itself yeah. i mean in those days you worked in bonhill street which is in the city of london is it
3: not it is it was the last remaining outpost of publishing in what had been a big publishing quarter but by the time I was working there, there were only two magazines left in that area: us and Health and Efficiency. <laughs> but I never got to visit their editorial offices, disappointingly. Enough.
0: Health and Efficiency, for those who are not aware, and who <laughs> contained—can we should we call it adult content? No, it wasn't really adult, but it. So no, it was all
3: terribly clean. It yes. was just people enjoying themselves without clothes, just That's playing beach volleyball. You know, <laughs> long before it was an Olympic sport. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and now they're playing
3: it in the middle of London. I love
0: it. Beach volleyball. Let's not get onto beach volleyball. Um, now, Gordon, can you describe to us what it was like in the motorsport magazine environment then, and, and, and how it's changed? Because the, the old days of publishing were very, very, very different, weren't they?
3: Well, there's two parts to that. One is the office, which, although it was a 60s office, looked as if it had been derelict since Victoria's reign. It was piled high with junk, paperwork, press releases, going back to the 1950s. They were ghastly, broken floor tiles. Uh, The blinds hung down, the windows didn't close. It was freezing in, in winter and boiling in summer and uh, in the middle of all that these two <laughs> extraordinarily respected magazines managed, managed to come out on time every month and every week the other That's, one being Motor News of course which was the, uh, yes, our weekly sidekick but apart from that it was uh, a, quite a difficult place to work because of the old man always interfering and also at the time we were back in the old days of typesetters a separate union for the typesetters mm-hmm. And there was a separate union for all the graphic people and there was a separate printing union, which affected us because unusually motorsport printed its own papers. We had printing presses on the ground floor. So we had to deal directly with the typesetters if you wanted to make any changes, any corrections, and Bill Body had plenty of corrections to make. <laughs> you had to go down and negotiate with them. And if you got one minute over their rated time, it was now, it's a weekend now. Can't do that. <laughs> and it was such a battle. But luckily, Mr. T loved battles. His favourite occupation was conflict. <laughs> You've never seen the man's eyes sparkle as much as when you were having a blazing rye with him. And he loved it if you got so angry that you stormed out of the office and slammed the door. The good part about that was then he would feel soft and guilty afterwards so half an hour later you can go back in ask him for any ludicrous expenses claim you wanted can i go to the millimedia mr t oh yes boy yes boy i, I like it when somebody stands their corner well done so you lost one fight and won another one
0: it's very interesting because in those days there were a lot of editors of that type around, you know. I mean, there were a lot of newspaper editors, f- very um, similar characteristics. It's changed completely, hasn't it? I mean, we, you know, look at our editor here. I mean, he's, you know, he's young, optimistic. Careful. You <laughs> <laughs> <You're> left out <under> the <laughs> way. Dynamic. <laughs> Dynamic. I mean, it, in this time, though, Gordon... I mean, 30 years on one magazine it's, m- it's moved offices five times And it's had four different owners So what on earth has kept you going all this
3: time? Well, luckily it's been a bit like changing jobs all those, On all those occasions It hasn't been the same job And the magazine has even changed its coverage, of course the, uh, Went to Haymarket Stopped doing Formula One altogether Went into the historic side Which is what drew me in in the first place so it feels like a series of magazines, but belonging to the same family. I'm, I'm always intrigued, Gordon, you tell us stories about uh, working directly with the
2: Bodden Jenks. Bodden um, just take us back to the summer of 82. What, what was it like coming into that environment? How did you join motorsport, and what was it like when you came in?
3: Well, I didn't apply for a job on motorsport for a start. <laughs> I applied for a job of rally reporter on Motoring News. But by the, by the time I got down to London from Scotland, uh, the vacancy was already filled, but nobody had thought to tell me. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I went all the way back to Scotland, and then I got a phone call saying, oh, we should have interviewed you for a different job while you were down here. and uh, Because the, the then assistant editor, and there was only ever body, the editor, and some harassed individual in the office putting the thing together... So the then assistant editor was desperate to get out and thought, oh, this sucker might be uh, drawn in to replace me. Uh, so I then had to go all the way back down to London and be interviewed for a job I didn't know about, uh, for which I had no qualifications at all, and uh, and got there and then. So uh, that's the way the old man worked. Uh, in those days, was, was Bill Body in the office... Uh, no, he was hardly in the office at all. He, was, he would be there for the monthly board meeting. He might come up once to collect a test car. But even then, it was he was in Wales by then, four and a half hours drive away. And he was in his 70s then. So you were essentially pitched in to run the thing on your own? The whole thing. I had one issue overlap. And I'd never worked on a magazine or of any sort. And I had to not only... Right, I had to do the road tests I had to do all the vintage race reports when we covered everything the VSEC did and I had to plan the issue, I had to work out the pagination which you don't even think about now it's all done automatically and um, and lay out the pages which involved long strips of galleys, that's all the printed long runs like thin toilet paper chopping those up, sticking them to the page with wax Mm. and then handing it all over to the typesetters
2: and tell us about those board meetings as well, because that was when uh, Jenks used to come up to the office. Was o- was should, we just
0: s- sh- should we just say we're talking about Dennis Jenkinson, because yes. maybe, maybe not everybody who's joined us today, we're talking about Bill Boddy, who was uh, our editor for many years, and Dennis Jenkinson, who of course was our grumpy racing reporter. Sorry,
3: Gordon. I thought you said grumpy racing <laughs> reporter there. <laughs> <laughs> Very appropriate in many could ways. for me. <laughs> <could laughs> <I was> <laughs> a, a great man though he was, he was quite difficult to work with too yes the board meetings oh god (laughs) we were stuck in this tiny airless room with the wallpaper peeling and more junk piled into it just enough room for us all to squeeze in Um, the old man got very cold very quickly so uh, he would have an electric heater under the desk in front of his knees and the temperature would rise steadily and the sweat would roll off everybody's (laughs) faces We would all have these discussions, but the old man couldn't remember who was who. He just went by the seats you were sitting in. So if you happened to sit in the ad manager's chair, he would ask you how the advertising was doing. And, And it was much too difficult to explain that you weren't the ad manager. It was much easier just to say, oh, slightly below par, but good promises for next week. And he'd be quite happy. Uh, and then we'd go round and we'd have some vague policy discussion but it was all pointless because the person who was keeping the notes couldn't read her own shorthand (laughs) so she always had to come to me afterwards and we'd make them up uh, which was irrelevant because the old man never read them and couldn't care less what we decided and uh, then there'd be be quiet moments when the old man would nod off but um, we just sort of kept talking quietly until he rejoined us you know it seemed, it seemed rude to wake him the main reason for the board meetings, I have to say were so that Body and Jenks could complain about what was in the magazine <laughs> i.e. anything I'd done uh, because they just wrote what they wanted they had no conception of making it fit and uh, I was left trying to force it all into the magazine and that meant chopping things and Jenks hated that as you know Nigel and um, Boddy hated it, but Bod had a way out because anything that he chopped out would uh, resurface the next month, expanded <laughs> uh, in the same way that yeast for brewing burbles away in the bucket and no matter how much you take out there's always more growing in the bucket. Well Bod's writing was like that. So uh, I'd go in there, I'd be lambasted by both of them and then we'd come out and they'd be as nice as pie to me uh, outside their office. And that was the only reason for the board meetings.
0: The extraordinary thing is, Gordon, that. Several thousand people looked up to people like Dennis Jenkinson and Bill Boddy as, as gods. I mean, particularly in Jenks' case. I mean, my own father he used to keep telling me how wonderful Jenks was and made me read what he wrote from the age of five, I think. And all of it came out of this ghastly <laughs> place you're describing.
1: I don't think he went there very often, did he, Gordon? No, Jenks. Jenks. He wasn't one no. for, for showing up. I think. He wasn't one no, for going to offices uh, so was probably at, at less all, than was. body he would yeah. come for the yeah. board meeting. Yeah.
3: But, but um, I'm not doing down the, their extraordinary knowledge and, and writing ability. I mean, there's no doubt at all about that. But, um, but they weren't the smiling heroes all the time that people imagine. No,
4: <laughs> did they make it to the Christmas lunches as
3: your Christmas dinners, didn't you have once? Bill would the, drive the up in, from yeah. Wales. Yeah and sit there grimly while the old man told us what a wonderful place it was and how lucky we were to work for him. There was something terribly medieval about it, they would clear out the warehouse and uh, line up these trestle tables and we'd sit round them like school children with paper uh, napkins and you know the the crisps and the the cider flowed like well cider. (laughs) and um, there would be a top table with Mr T and his family uh, because uh, half the people in the office were related to Mr T <laughs> and Miss um, and Roberts his secretary who was this terrifying figure in flyaway glasses who uh, you didn't want to get on the wrong side of and they sat on the top table and then the us less important people uh, sat down below them uh, admiring their progress
0: you know uh, uh it's also worth remembering that these were the two publications that everybody wanted to work for. I mean if you wanted to get into motor racing journalism, you went to motoring news pretty
1: much didn't you 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 did i mean um I, in fact i mean um, my my knowledge of mr t is is fairly minimal because I never worked for him, but he did uh, on one occasion offer me a job um And the interview, it was the interview, really, that decided me probably I didn't want to work there. Because I, (laughs) he offered me the job and he said, uh, well, what do you think, boy? And I, there was somebody working for Motoring News at that time that I didn't get on with terribly well. And I said, well, you know, it's, um, thank you for the offer. (sighs) The only thing that concerns me is that I, 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 you know, I've got my doubts day to day. I'd get on very well working with. X. He said Well it wouldn't matter boy So I said well how's that And he said well it's his job I'm offering you
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yes that <laughs> thing is From what Gordon Cruikshank has been telling us For the last few minutes
3: um, well, Mr T was quite capable of sacking somebody With verbal notice Backdated <laughs> <laughs> and, and did it several times In my experience Get out boy I'll sue, I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Tell tell us about some of
0: the. Tell us about. I mean, did. Okay. Did you get out of the office to actually go to a motor racing event of any kind?
3: Yes. Yes. I did uh, mainly because I had to, because there was no one else to cover the vintage reports that Bod wasn't doing. And uh, when there was an Exeter trial to cover, and Bod had flu then that became my job I was also doing the road testing and uh, I was doing a lot of photography as well I mean I've had front cover shots on the mag as well so yes I was out of the office and uh, there was more than enough to keep me there for the whole week but I had the other things to do as well so that meant a lot of writing at home.
1: Gordon did it not when when you'd been there about I don't know say six months was there ever a time when you Given that you had no experience of journalism, whatever, and suddenly you were, pro- virtually you were producing an entire magazine on your own, did you sort of ever, after a few months, think what has happened to me? What 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 am I doing? You know, because that I mean, how you've you know twenty four hours in a day wouldn't have been enough from everything you've said.
3: Well, I did think what's happened to me. I thought. I've been given an Alfa Romeo to drive and I get to go and look at all these race meetings. I had no idea that magazines didn't run like this. I thought they all did. It, it took me a couple of years to discover that uh, other magazines actually had staff and, and facilities and supportive owners and backers. But the and News guys were in the,
2: the same office as you weren't they? Because it was just a tiny office.
3: They were, and that was that was part of the support because the, the, the motor news guys were always entertaining. As you said, Rob, everybody wanted to work there, so it was full of enthusiastic people being paid a few yeah. thousand pounds a year, but getting a car to drive. And uh, they had a lot of fun in amongst all the very long hours, and uh, and that spilled over. So at least there was a there was always a party going on.
1: Gordon. And I think that policy actually extended even to Jenks, didn't it? That he, I mean, I, you know, I, I mean, I know how much the old man did not pay Jenks, but he was swanning around Europe on expenses of a kind. First of all, in a three-five-six, and then you know, and then subsequently in, uh, in E types. So you know, Jenks used to say he was clever. Jenks clever. Yes. WJT. It,
3: it, it was yeah. actually one of his shrewd moves. And, you know, the salaries were embarrassing, but getting a car at that age all looked after. Fantastic. How did this
0: develop, Gordon, over the early years? I mean, what you've described sounds truly uh, demanding to me. H- how long did the old man rule over this kingdom of his?
3: He was still interfering uh, right into the, <laughs> into the early 90s, I'd say, uh, when he was in his early 90s as well. He would uh, call you in to argue about something in the last issue. Don't do that again, boy. Uh, You had to pass the cover uh, in front of him every time, which would bring up ludicrous objections like, you can't use this photo, there's a bush in it. Uh, 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 it, it, That's somebody's head, Mr T. Uh, That's one of the spectators. No, it's not, it's a bush, it's in front of the car. You can't do that, take it away or he'd argue about one photo being out of, out of focus well th- th- there was only one shot one good shot of the winner of this particular rally and I knew that but I also knew that saying it is in focus you stupid old fool was not the way to approach it so I just went away and came back half an hour later with the same shot uh, uh, and said you were right Mr T here's a better one there you are boy told you success you, know, you, you learned how to handle him
0: can I can I recommend that you write a book because I'm personally going to buy it and yes. uh, and, and it's going to make me laugh a lot. And it's mm-hmm. sincerely great stories, aren't they? So, what happened then? I mean, motoring news and motorsport magazines under the direct the rule of this man. And then, um, w- what came to pass when he was finally too old?
3: to totter into the office he, he was still totter in once a week but um, the, the, the magazines did run on by themselves there were his two sons were there one was the production manager and, uh, uh, and the other one did an assortment of things to do with running the company so that proceeded. Miss Roberts was running the finance and, and arguing about the expenses. She, she knew to a quarter of a mile how far Snetterton was. And um, it, it, it just proceeded. I mean, I used to look at this chaotic jumble of desks and what looked like children playing office cricket up and down the, in front of the computers and think it's extraordinary that a, a, a world-respected magazine is going yep. to come out of this in a week's time.
1: Wasn't it the case, Gordon? I mean, I'm mean, i sure I remember Alan Henry telling me about working for, for Motoring News and, and of course getting back from a Grand Prix in the beginning of every week then writing the news and you know if you're writing news you, you, you do need to telephone people. That's true. Uh, isn't, wasn't it the case that um, phone calls out of the country before Noon or whatever were out of the were completely out of the uh, question. And, did, th- and didn't you actually have to get permission to make a,
3: a phone call abroad? N- not just out of the country. You, you younger listeners may not know that in the old days it was um, cheaper to ring in the afternoon and dearer in the morning. So you weren't allowed to use any to make any phone calls in the morning, which is a bit awkward <laughs> if you're trying to ring Brian Henton to find out what happened uh, in his race. Yeah. Uh, so there's a bit of a dispensation. They could make a certain number of morning phone calls. If you wanted to uh, ring out of London, you had to get permission. If you wanted to ring abroad, you had to get written permission <coughs> with a list of the numbers so that you didn't just suddenly ring some friend in America. <laughs> it all seemed normal to us at the time.
0: I mean, this was the thing, wasn't it, really? is it As you point out, you didn't know that, that this was different from other organisations. Uh, but were you aware, Gordon, at the time, uh, h- how respected these publications were, in the sense that, you know, the, uh, the sales were very good, weren't they? And a lot of people, you know, it was their Bible, wasn't it? Motorsport magazine.
3: Oh, I, well, I came to it as a, a reader of both, so I started off thinking these are well-respected magazines put together by impressive-looking men in suits, <laughs> uh, you know, in their 50s, presumably, in rather smart offices in the city. <laughs> So uh, it, it was a bit like some sort of parallel universe but I kept thinking, in a minute it'll all snap into place uh, and it'll look like a grown-up outfit. But uh, no, uh, as you say, these were respected magazines selling enormous quantities. I mean, motorsport was, uh, at, at Grand Prix issues, it selling 160,000 uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. issues.
1: Could we like some of that today, wouldn't we?
0: That is absolutely
3: amazing, isn't internet. it?
1: No yeah, internet, internet, internet. hardly to any, to hardly the any TV,
3: hardly any racing on TV. Yeah, yeah. And even though yeah. there were the weeklies, uh, Jenks's summary uh, a month later, or you know, maybe five or six weeks, or so, uh, weeks afterwards. Was still the place where you actually found out what had happened yeah. to. Yeah. That well, of course, team. his continental notes were the, were the must read of the month, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that was something you wouldn't see anywhere else. Uh, perhaps in Autosport there might be a feature on. No, no, not really, Gordon, because the whole point was, I mean, you know, Jenks was sort of
1: really from April to September just on the road, wasn't he, doing his own thing? And he if he. He would go to every Grand Prix and also to every World Championship sports car race, which tended to alternate. So every weekend he was in a major race somewhere,
3: and dropping in quite casually on and Lamborghini and yeah, and that's that's absolutely right. Or, or he would drop on.
1: in for dinner in, uh, you know, in Modena, and and finish up having dinner with you know, Bear or lot here because they all that was where they all hung out, and mm. and it was a community in those days.
3: And motorsport was the only place where you <laughs> find that detailed information. Mm. Damien, you're the editor of Motorsport
0: Magazine right now and you rose through the ranks to become so. Um, When you were starting off, because you started I think with Haymarket Publishing, didn't you?
2: Yeah, I started at At Motorsport. It was in 96, um, so it was just before um, Wesley T passed away and the magazine not long after that changed ownership um, and Haymarket uh, bought up Motoring News, LAT, which is what they really wanted, because the the photographic archive LAT is the world's biggest uh, of its kind, and it's uh, a fabulous archive, and Motorsport came with it, and I think it's fair to say that Motorsport was the least important bit to Haymarket in terms of what they wanted to do with it, Um, and then they had this this magazine which was vitally important to lots of people, but was going through quite a hard time at that time, and um, they had to work out what to do with it, and, and, you know, Gordon, I mean, it must have been uh, quite a nerve-wracking time for you, I guess, when the the ownership uh, changed. Um, Some uncertainty, I guess.
3: Well, I thought to myself, at last we're moving to a professional outfit. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, uh, offices with windows that close, this is going to be exciting. Uh, That was my view. And I was a a bit taken aback when they decided to focus on the one subject, the historic side of things. But I thought it made commercial sense at the time.
2: And it did give the magazine a new lease of life, didn't it? Because it was um, not in a, in a good, good shape at the time.
3: No, it was fading uh, reasonably quickly, and uh, it, it did. It was an injection of vitality, fresh look, and, uh, and staff. There were you know, two or three people in the office. It was really exciting.
2: <laughs> and it was an interesting time. I was, you know, as I say, very junior at, at Autosport at the time, and suddenly um, our biggest rivals, MN were were in the same building, um, motoring yeah, news. Yeah, yeah, separated by <coughs> a, by a corridor, um, and you know we spent week in week out trying to um, beat each other to stories, um, wind each other up in race paddocks, and suddenly they were considered colleagues. And I think Haymarket expected us all to get along very well, and we you know socially we did, but but professionally that that, um, that competitive nature didn't didn't change, um, and I think motorsport. We all had, as, as as young writers, we always had huge respect for motorsport and I think we all had ambitions to, to work for, for the green one. Um, but um, it, it, because it went historic only, it became something else completely different. And I think under Andrew Frankel, um, it reinvented itself su- supremely well. He had a terrible time uh, from some of the readers who didn't like the fact that there was no more Formula One in the magazine and, and he received some terrible letters but I think all credit to to, to the work he did, and it it started a new era for the magazine, which um, basically um, was the start of where we are today, really. Gordon, finally, um, here we are, in uh,
0: rather lovely offices, it has to be said, uh, on the banks of the River Thames, and here you are with your very own column in the magazine, and here you are Mm -hmm. still pretty much, you know, holding the thing together. You're you're amazingly steadfast. Um, Can you ever imagine not working for Motorsport Magazine, because I guess
3: it's going to happen one day. <laughs> uh, I've been imagining it for 30 years. <laughs> 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 and I, I, I can't quite see what sort of picture that would take. Dreaming really? of it for quite well, a while. Yeah, there, there were times when it was the, the biggest fantasy possible. How can I get out of it? Um, yes. Let me put the question one.
0: in a different way. What, what is it that continues to fascinate you to grip you too. i mean there must be something otherwise you would have found something else to do
3: well it's the two things that i enjoy doing most one is cars and particularly the historical side racing and the people who are involved in that and have been over the years and the other side is writing i i enjoy the actual task of writing of trying to get the facts across uh, in an reasonably intelligible way and cram it all into a space under the editor's uh, gimlet eye you've overwritten again, cut it down uh, and, and I do find the process of actually assembling it together uh, quite exciting, making a page fit making the captions make sense and that in itself I enjoy, so the two things together in one package, not sure what other option would offer me those
0: We have some rather good questions from some of our listeners um, Gordon, this comes from Mark Green, and he wants to know who you've enjoyed interviewing the most, and why?
3: I think that was probably a telephone interview I did. And, and I have to say here, I'm sorry to deflate WB's wonderful reputation, but he'd written a story about Jock Horseful, St. John Horsfall, which was very stage, shall we say. It was all about lap records and mph and didn't say much about the man. And I managed to find Jock Horsfall's mechanic and got him on the phone. And he told me the most extraordinary things I'd ever heard about what Jock Horsfall was involved in the war. It was the first time I'd heard the story of him driving the body of the man who never was, the the spy who was dropped in the sea oh. to fool the Germans. He drove uh, the, the van with the body and it was his van with a tweet engine he drove it up to uh, Scotland to be loaded on the submarine well that that was not a public story at that point and he told me that uh, St. John Horsfall's, one of his tasks during the war was testing security on air bases and harbours. And it was his job to go and try and get the harbormaster drunk and find out what ships were coming in. And he had a trick for matching him pint for pint, which was he would eat a pound of butter beforehand. Oh. Oh. And then, and he reckoned oh. that stopped him getting drunk. He could have four pints with the harbormaster. <laughs> and see if he could tease information out and then report that back to MI5 or MI6, whichever it was. He was also given the task of trying to break into RAF bases. And he was told there is an emergency number which might get you out of trouble, but you're not to carry it. And you're only to use it in extremis once you've been apprehended and you're in jail (laughs) and uh, you're about to be done for treason. That's the only time you can ring this phone call, ring this phone number. So he would try and wriggle his way through the grass with a camera and take photos of aircraft landing and taking off as if as a spy would. Uh, it was the most entertaining 40 minutes on the phone I've had. It was an extraordinary tale and completely unexpected.
0: Absolutely fantastic. I mean, uh, you know, that sort of thing is... Uh doesn't happen very often, that's for sure, does it? Well, maybe you should just briefly explain Jock Horsfall for, for people
3: listening who don't know Jock Horsfall. A, a successful racer, in, particularly in Aston Martins, and there's still an Aston Martin racer in, named the St. John Horsfall Trophy. Uh, he was uh, a keen enthusiast, a privateer, did extremely well with very modified cars.
0: This one comes from Henry Hope Frost. And only you will understand this question, but you will explain it, I know. He asks, was the chicane at Standard House easy
3: flat, or did you need to lift? (laughs) Standard House, as I've said before, all the people at, at Motoring News were young, they were 17 to 21 maybe, and they were all passionately keen on racing cars and they all wanted to be in racing cars so they pretended as they went up and down the corridors you could hear the gear changes (laughs) (coughs) and uh, it it was quite well known that certain people could get into top gear between reception and coffee machine (laughs) corner uh, and others couldn't. uh, and it was a tricky 90 right, 90 left, that corner, with a, a junction off to the warehouse. So sometimes you could hear people coming in opposite directions. And, and there were terrific mimics, some of them. Simon Aaron, particularly, get him to do a, a, a turbo F1 car for you. <laughs> uh, and you could hear them hitting max revs and then changing down. And the answer, Henry, is no, you had to drop down two gears for it. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, you couldn't see over these horrible panels with their ribbed glass that separated the place. So quite often there were loud collision, collisions and uh, uh, well known reporters spinning into the barriers. <laughs> it was, uh, yes, it was a scary corner. The, 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 the run down to motoring News was much better. It was nice and easy and then a square left at the bottom.
0: <laughs> well, there you are, you see, that's what happens when you get a, a great many real enthusiasts together who are also very young. Why not, why not? Um, ben Harris wants to know, how would you sum up the motorsport style of writing and journalism and how it's
3: evolved over the 30 years you, you've been involved? If I said variable, I think that would be true and not as damning as it sounds because there are magazines like The New Yorker where there's a very strong style and everyone has to stick to it. We've never done that. Bod has been allowed to to ramble fascinatingly over anything that interested him. Uh, Jenks had his own unique style where he would just dismiss a driver who, who he didn't think was trying hard enough. I mean, famously in the results, sometimes <laughs> instead of the you know suspension broke or eliminated by crash, uh, one of them said, driver gave up. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, no magazine that had an imposed star would allow something like that. So I think the strength of motorsport is that we've had knowledgeable people who are passionate and who write what they want, and the editors allow it Uh, with certain limits I think Damien but generally if they want to write uh, 5,000 words on something we allow that, we don't cut it back to fit. Long may it last with as few limits as possible is what I say. I know why you're saying that Rob. Yes (laughs) (laughs) duly noted (laughs) Okay
0: Uh, one last question Gordon, thank you Um, it comes from Pedro Paiva or Paiva tell us something about night rallies uh, in your early career. I must admit, I've no, uh, this sounds good to me.
3: Well, I got... Uh, I had no intention of being a journalist, or, or, and I wasn't that interested in rallying until I went to college in Birmingham and got involved in the local motor club. And suddenly, I was navigating somebody in a, a Renault 8. It's amazing how fast you can make a Renault 8 go. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> So I spent many a happy hour quartering Wales down little lanes and never seeing any of the scenery because it was always dark and I was always peering at my map feeling sick. But um, it, it, there is one memorable thing about that. Uh, after the Renault 8, I switched to a guy who had a Triumph Spitfire. doesn't sound like a good road rally car. He was a Triumph engineer or BL or whatever they called themselves then. He'd hacked off all the suspension and welded in his own So it had uh, proper wishbones all round, it was about two feet off the ground, it looked like a monster truck with a (laughs) transport on top. Uh, Unfortunately he'd worked from a very rotten body shell, so you could see right through the floor. And going through a Ford, or on a wet night, the water just sluiced up through the floor. And when you get out of the car at one of the pauses, when all the navigators would get out and be sick in one hedge, and all the drivers would get out and have a wee in the other hedge. (laughs) and um, i 'd get out soaked to the waist and uh, looking as if i 'd been very, very scared indeed. it really was the fastest b day ever built <laughs> fantastic. I love these stories I
0: could I could sit here all day um, it must it does raise the question of it doesn 't it? You know when you listen to a man who 's been doing this for thirty years he's, you know have we really improved things i mean uh, health and safety has taken so much of these great things away from us hasn't it i mean you know that a rally car like that would never be allowed anymore anyway um thank you gordon very much thank you thank you been fun and now for something completely different as i said at the top of the show it's half term in formula 1 everybody's on holiday except us of course but formula one is on holiday for the month of august the factories are shut down for two weeks and we thought it was a good time to look back on the season so far we thought we'd do this um with nigel roebuck and with ed foster let's start with red bull nigel shall we um what do we how, how do we assess red bull right now
1: well, you know, Red Bull—they're um, leading the constructors' championship. So you can't say that they're—you know—they're having other than a good season. Um, I think inevitably, uh, given the—you uh, know—the recent past and lo- and last year in particular, um, it looks like a come down because they—you know—they haven't been dominating every race as they uh, as mm. certainly as they did last year, um, but. You know, they're still they're still you got to say they're still in pretty good shape. I mean, they are every, at every race. They are they are a threat. Um, but I find particularly gratifying this year. I know his last couple of races haven't been wonderful. But um, it's been very pleasing to me this year that, that Mark Webber has been back to, you know, the Mark Webber we saw in 2010 yeah. um, and, you know, full of enthusiasm um, as ever and, uh, and, and by and large driving beautifully. Sure. So um, I haven't been too impressed with some of Vettel's uh, post-race behavior when the day hasn't gone well. Um he's rather less than the smiling schoolboy we Absolutely. We're all uh, you know, we all saw
4: last year, so much. Quick yeah, yeah, very quick. I mean there's two things that sort of strike me about Red Bull is the exhaust blown diffuser being banned. Well sort of banned, I think. Has I think hurt Red Bull more than most. Um, but it's obviously helped Weber so much. Um, and he's now, you know, he just hated that car last year and uh and how much grip it had on the rear end but he's, he's much happier which is as nigel says is really good to see yeah okay yeah. let's
0: move on to mclaren um nigel uh up and down season for mclaren thus far
1: you, very much so i mean if you go back to the first race of the year i mean for a start, the you know the, the McLaren is about f- for sure the nicest looking car this year because it's about the only car that doesn't have the step nose. Um, so that's a, a plus point right there. Um, and when Jensen won in uh, Melbourne and won conclusively, um, it did sort of look as though well, is this going to be a season for McLaren such as Red Bull had uh, you know had last year maybe. Hmm. Um, but it hasn't turned out that way, um, you know. Jensen hasn't won since, and and in fact had a very sort of fallow period for four or five races when he was he was just simply not a factor. Um, Lewis has uh, has won twice, and I think Lewis is by and large Lewis is driving beautifully this year, um, which he needed to do. God knows after the fiasco of two thousand and eleven. Um, but I'm, I'm, but I'm very glad to see him back to driving at his best. And what's really surprised me, particularly in the last few races, is that uh, Jensen was always the driver, the prost of his time, if you like, who, who had this uh, extraordinary ability to go quickly and not hurt his tires. Whereas you know, Lewis did not have that reputation, and point of fact, this year, if anything, well, certainly the last few races has been the other way around. Lewis, Lewis has learned to go mm. quickly without, you know, without hurting his tyres, and it's Jensen actually who's had problems
4: once twice. Uh, the something that strikes me about McLaren this year is much like Renault, I don't, sorry Lotus Renault, they haven't made the most perhaps of the opportunities that their, the speed of their car has given them, and also I wonder. Would McLaren be so far behind Red Bull in the Championship if Alonso was driving for them? I don't think they would.
0: Well, let me just say quickly here, sorry Nigel, um, I think that if you, if you the, the readers, you the listeners, uh, would like to comment on this, please, please do so on our website. Um, there's lots of opportunity for that, because sadly we, 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 we don't have too long to go through this. Um, Nigel, Lotus...
1: Well, um, Lotus are getting better and better and better, aren't they? Um, mm. um, I, fundamentally, what's let Lotus down, probably, uh, you know, by and large, has been qualifying. So they've 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 they've, they've usually shown wonderful race pace, yep. but very often just been starting too far too far back. Um, I'm just I'm very very impressed with the, with that team this year. I think probably on pure absolute one lap pace, Grosjean has the has the edge on uh, on kimmy but that's not to detract from kimmy i think you know kimmy is kimmy is driving superbly Mm. this year i I, for me that last little edge is maybe not there now um i thought in bahrain for instance when he was running close second towards the end of the race uh, i thought the old kimmy would have gone for it but having said that Um, When you consider his last two years in Formula One before he with Ferrari, before he went off to rallying, I mean this this is this driver now reminds me more of the Kimi who was with McLaren.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean Grosjean this year has reminded me a bit like of Lewis Hamilton when he first came in. You know the overtakes he's been putting off, especially in Valencia. (coughs) And okay, he lost the place to Alonso on that restart, but some of the overtakes he managed before that were amazing, really opportunistic, and he's so smiley. And it's so nice to see a driver. Do uh, you know he's obviously thrilled to be in Formula One? I think he said, sort of in a recent interview, that you know the thing about sort of having to leave the sport and then come back is you realise what you're missing. And he says it makes you so much more appreciative when you get there again. And I just hope he sort of doesn't do a Lewis and sort of go down sort of. The root of not appreciating the situation he's in, but he's great. You know, he's a breath of fresh air. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm all for him because before the season started, I I want I questioned what Lotus were doing because he didn't really impress that much last time he was. He didn't at the impress t- at all first no. time round. So, yeah. um, but anyway, good, a nice surprise.
0: Okay, good, good. Well, uh, the, lots of uh, our readers and listeners <coughs> are, are fans of Kimi Räikkönen, so no doubt you'll, you you might want to comment on that on our website. Um, let's move on Ferrari, Nigel.
1: Well, they began the season atrociously, as we know. Um, uh, I mean, in, in, in Melbourne, the car was simply an embarrassment. Um, but they've, uh, I, I, I admire the way they've, they've, I mean, it looked like a disastrous car, not mm. just a poor car, it looked like a terrible car.
4: But was any of that hype from the press?
1: Uh, I don't think so. I, I think, the, um, I think you know, the times they were not doing in testing um and the sort of testing they were doing um I mean they they were addressing very very fundamental problems with that car it's not by any means the best car now but it is it's hugely improved and i think what's been the difference between uh, between them particularly with alonso and everybody else is that i think i think fundamentally every race they've made the absolute most of what they had um fernando himself has made Extraordinarily few mistakes, and he's just been absolutely on his game the whole way through. Um, and I, I, th- I think also it's in a curious way the fact that tyres have been such an overwhelming mm. um, <coughs> excuse me consideration this year has probably actually helped Ferrari. I think if I think if we had sort of how can I put it normal tyres, then cars normal superiority would, would would exert itself and i think i think that's probably been less in less evidence this year than uh, you know than in typical years so i, I mean i think i think i think alonso has just alonso has <coughs> been simply brilliant and I, I think it's a tragedy for massa and certainly for ferrari that felipe has contributed you know damn all to the, to the uh, constructors
4: um, championship figure
0: Let's have your views Ed on uh, Mercedes Benz
4: Well you know they promised so much especially with the Rosberg win and in China and that was a great win that was on merit there was no luck involved and you know they, was, they looked really really quick but they just seemed to have gone backwards and you know I think Schumacher never thought I'd say this has been extremely unlucky this year with failures and every race he goes to he's sort of lucky to do 10 laps before something breaks on his car I don't know whether that's payback for all those years that uh, he has such wonderful machinery, but if you don't believe in karma, then this is happening yeah, okay. to Schumacher. No, I do, but, I do. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, once again, it's, you know, Rosberg, who's, you know, shows flashes of brilliance, and I think he is a, a brilliant driver, but, you know, I'd wish he'd just have a car that could put him on a podium on a regular basis rather than, you know, damn, you know, struggling for points, and uh, Ross Brawn himself has said, you know, fifth place in the constructors' championship is not good enough, and I'm sure everyone at Mercedes, you know, in Germany, is saying exactly the same thing with all those millions they're spending.
0: Okay, Nigel.
1: Yeah, I, I would. There's not really much I can I can add okay. that. I, I think that's I think that's that's uh, that's right. That their inconsistency is a bit of a a bit of a mystery.
0: Um, Sauber. So, uh, first of the sort of if you like smaller teams um your thoughts on Sauber ed
4: they have been brilliant in the races very good and very easy on their tires and which this season is is everything seemingly i i thought it was very and well, i wasn't unlucky but it was sad to see perez not to secure his first grand prix victory um, you know, without that mistake that just dropped him back from the from the exhaust pipes of Alonso. But he's driving brilliantly, and you know we've sung Kobayashi's praise so many times in this podcast. But this year he has been <clears throat> more or less blown away by Perez, in, in my opinion. Um, so no, they've been very good. But you know, Perez, I feel is slightly getting sort of the Vettel mindset in recent races when things haven't gone his way. And it's just a slight opinion I get from from seeing him interviewed and, and things like that. So I hope that, that doesn't continue. But you know, they're punching well above their weight. Well done them.
1: Nigel? Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, had he won in Malaysia, one wonders quite how big his head might be now, even compared with what it is. Um, um he reminds me very much of PK Junior and his in his attitude to life, as if it's, you know, I'm here and it's all laid out for me and I'll be, where shall I go, Ferrari? I, 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 thought, I, thought, I thought it was extraordinary the other day when he said something about, I'm not going to push for a place at Ferrari. <laughs> I thought, well, you know, I think Montezemolo might have something to say about it. But anyway, no, I mean, he's a great talent, but boy, he knows it.
0: In a similar vein, <laughs> in a similar vein, Mr. Ron Dennis said that last time he looked at Lewis Hamilton's contract, he employed Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Um, uh, your thoughts on on the Williams team, uh, Nigel?
1: Well, I, I mean, I'm delighted to see it's been God knows up and down. Um, but I'm, but I'm just delighted to see Williams sort of, fundamentally, you know, back in the mix. How many other? I think last year was absolutely heartbreaking just mm. to, phew, that great name. I mean, what did they have? Five points the whole, the whole year. Um, I thought Barcelona was completely out of the blue. I mean, who, who, who saw that coming? I, I don't think any of the regulars <coughs> did. And Maldonado that weekend was absolutely perfect. I mean, no mistakes at all. And I thought you know i, I mean, we 've always known he was quick, but I thought the uh, the chances of him on race day you know doing the entire distance making no mistakes under pressure were fairly minimal, and so i was I was very, very impressed but then you fast <coughs> forward to monaco and exactly right yeah so um, um, I mean, I think I think Maldonado has been maligned on occasion. I I, th- I think, um, and this is actually you know what made me a little bit angry, but with um, with Perez recently after Silverstone because I really didn't think that was anybody's fault the accident you know that they had there, and I thought that was Perez just going back to being, on the other hand, quite justifiably angry with, with Maldonado for what he did at Monaco. Okay, but you know, the guys, quick. And Bruno, I don't know what to say about Bruno, you know, you look as you see him one weekend and you think, boy he really is good actually, he
4: really is good and then other weekends you don't really notice he's in the the plays. Well, well, you know, like the tyres and the whole Formula 1 season, you know, as a whole.
0: Okay, Ed, um, half term for Force India?
4: They haven't uh, delivered what they promised, Um, you would have thought a team like that would move further up the grid, Um, certainly get some better finishes than they have. And they've got two great drivers. You know, I'm sure there's plenty of other teams on the grid that wouldn't mind Hulkenberg and Diresta sitting in their two cars. Um, They've both been very evenly matched throughout the year. And, you know, maybe Hulkenberg isn't as happy with his car as Diresta has been, but everyone's always said, he's the next Schumacher, he's the next Schumacher. And I haven't (coughs) quite seen, apart from that pole position he got for Williams. Um, anything that's really shown him to be as special as he was he was mapped out to be but no i mean force india they should be higher up than, than eighth in the standings but uh you know maybe they sort of, the rest of it doesn't mind too much because he might be sitting in a mercedes seat sometime soon
0: <laughs> might be um nigel <coughs> toro rosso uh what can we say at well, half ten? well
4: i mean you know a huge disappointment They've already started with a next year's car. I think maybe they've, they've, they've well, given up on this one. But that, I'm sort of quite <laughs> pleased to hear that.
1: Um, and I felt sorry for those two, actually, because I think uh, Ricardo and Ben, I think they're both potentially, I think they're both great prospects. But on the other hand, it's been, yeah, it's been a little bit of a baptism of fire from them. I don't think for them. I, didn't, I don't think for a second they ever expected to be, uh, you know, put out of, at the end of Q1. Which has happened to both of them, um, so yeah, the car has been you know uh, a disappointment um, they've parted company with Ascanelli, which can only be bad news well i to me it can only be bad news, and one doesn't know the story of why yet nothing nothing has been nothing has been said, but uh, i I found that curious um Nothing really to say I mean just they've made no impression or whatever other than the fact that, that, that both drivers on, have on it have been able to show a, the sort of fundamental flair that they both uh, they both have mm. once in a while
0: okay um on to the uh, three uh even smaller teams um, Caterham, Nigel Uh, I don't know if... Actually, it's quite fair to call that an even smaller team because Caterham is, we are told... uh Caterham
1: should be doing better than they are, no question about it. I mean, we're we're now well into the third season of these three new teams and they have yet, between them, to put a point on the board. Um, And I thought Caterham would progress quite a bit this year, I must confess, thinking, you know, Renault engines and... You know, Coval
4: Island, is a, I think, is a very, very good driver. Um, I think that's the best thing that's come out of Caterham, is the is sort of rebirth of Kovalainen. Island. Yes, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think the
1: way he stuck to his task there has been quite, really quite remarkable. Having, having had two years of driving for McLaren, suddenly to be pitched right to the other end of the grid, it's quite hard to cope with.
0: What is interesting to me, very briefly, is that um, having gone over to the Renault engine, and some other uh, engineering that is also used by Red Bull. They don't appear to be any quicker to me than they were the previous season.
1: Well, uh, yeah, you know that—that that is how it looks, isn't it? I mean, you know, who knows? Maybe they are a little bit quicker. Their position has not changed at all. Yes, that's um, true. So that's true. It, it could you, be you,
4: worse. You you always assume you're going to see those six cars out in Q one, don't you? Yeah, I mean it, it could be worse. There was an interview with De La Rosa the other day, and he said that HRT was soaring past all their targets. Um, heaven forbid they weren't doing that, because I'm not sure they'd even be on the grid. Okay, but well let's
0: uh, <laughs> talk, okay, well let's talk talk about Marussia. Um, Ed Marussia.
4: Again, the, the big thing for me, me here is, is, uh, ch- is the driver, Charles Pick, who uh, has been brilliant this year. And he's, he's started, you know, first year in F1. He's, Pat Simmons was in for a podcast recently and said that he didn't really have that much experience and he was very green. But already he's out-qualifying Glock, out-racing Glock, and, and he's considered one of the very, very good drivers in Formula 1. So I think the future looks quite bright for him. From Russia, I don't think the future looks quite so bright because... They, at this rate, they're going to be exactly where they where they were three years ago. Mm,
1: that's true. I mean, they, they, there's, there's not really any sign of uh, progress at all, is there? Oh no. But Charles Peake is, um, as Ed says, I mean, you know, it's amazing actually because he makes Vettel look like a pensioner yes. I mean, when you see him when you see him in the paddock. I mean, you really think it's sort of. Uh, He's looking for his dad who drives for yes. one of these teams. <laughs> they're getting younger
0: and younger, and aren't well, they, they now but,
1: but, but Yeah, but, but, he, but he's like Vettel was, that he doesn't even look as old as he is. That's the thing. OK. Um, but he's a, he's a talent.
0: Yeah. yeah. Let's go then um, out to, the f- to the final row of the grid um, at the halfway point in the season. Um, HRT, Ed.
4: Well, I mean, what I said about De La Rosa and HRT soaring past their targets just now, I mean kind of says it all really you know they may be soaring past their targets but they're not doing anything of any interest at all they go out there every Sunday they race each other um, they might as well go and do that on their own somewhere else as far as I'm concerned yeah I mean you know they're both they're both very good drivers I mean De La Rosa you know he had half a season with McLaren
1: and um, he, De La Rosa is a, g- a good driver and Carter Kans not a not a, a, a hopeless driver are they Carter Cairn's fundamentally quite quick but in the end you know it's I mean, I mean yeah, I mean, I,
4: you know, having said exactly what I've just said, you shouldn't, we shouldn't be too harsh on the likes of Russian HRT, because when they came into the sport, they were promised a very strict ceiling of, of money spent, and that hasn't happened And well, so they find themselves in a situation, so, uh, you know, they're, they're not entirely right. to blame for their position in the sport, but no, no. I, d- I just, I, d- I question... Why HRT go around at the back of the grid every weekend?
0: Okay, um, yeah. let me put you both on the spot. Who's going to win the 2012 World Championship, Nigel Roebuck?
4: Alonso. Okay, who's
0: going to win it, Ed Foster?
4: You've got. We did this poll. We on no. The website. Who's going to win it? Okay, well, I'd, you've got to say Alonso. I think.
0: Okay, well here <laughs> we are. Here we are. We have uh, our Grand Prix, uh, our veteran Grand Prix reporter, Nigel Roebuck. He's going for Alonso, and so is Ed Foster. Good. Okay, we'll see how we are at the end of the season. What about you? What are your thoughts? I'm going for Lewis Hamilton. Right, we'll see where we are at the end of the season. And um, that's it for the Motorsport Magazine podcast for this month. Thank you very much, everybody, for joining us. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, If you would like to subscribe to Motorsport Magazine, please do go to our website, motorsportmagazine.com where you will find all the details of our fantastic subscription uh, for less than £50 and that includes um, a free auto course from 1971 so those of you who follow the history of motor racing you will like that and of course please don't forget we are also these days on the iPad and I highly recommend uh, you look at the magazine on the iPad good Uh, next time we meet we'll be in September and we'll be at the Goodwood Revival where we will be podcasting from the Drivers Club. That'll be the Goodwood Revival, which is in mid-September, and uh, that will be on our website as soon as possible after what we know will be a fantastic weekend. So thank you very much, everybody. I apologise that our editor, Damien, was not here for the final part, but he had urgent work to do, as editors do. Thank you to Alan Hyde for looking after the sound. It's goodbye from me. See you next time. Bye-bye.